Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday. We've got to talk about yet another USC football victory. This is a Friday night contest against the Colorado Buffaloes. 55-17 is your final score, but didn't always look like that. We'll talk about all of that, what happened in the game with the coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com, for all of his content links to all of that. Nine and one, this USC team is right now heading into the UCLA and Notre Dame games, controlling their own destiny thanks to some other chaos that happened in the Pac-12 on Saturday when the USC team was chilling on their couches, just watching some Pac-12 football. Maybe like I was, I had uh, three screens going at one time uh, Saturday night, just kind of watching all the Pac-12 action. But yeah, Oregon losing, UCLA losing, a lot of crazy stuff. In the Pac-12, so the Trojans know if they beat UCLA on Saturday in the Rose Bowl, they are in going to Las Vegas. They punched their ticket to Vegas for the Pac-12 championship games. We're going to talk about all that. If you have questions or comments for the show, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. And if you have the Apple Podcasting app or any of the podcasting apps, if you can follow us there, subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star rating and review. That really does help to grow everything, and we want to talk about everything that happened this weekend. It's a little bit different of a feel of a weekend. Uh, you know, just being able to watch football on my couch all day, Coach, was different. I didn't have to go to a game. It was kind of nice. Uh, but, you know, covering that game Friday, I was pretty exhausted. I don't think I got home until 2 in the morning. It was late. Um, but it was, uh, you know, but for USC, started off slow, ended up being a good result. And then just seeing the chaos that happened in the Pac-12, you're – you have to feel lucky not, you know, if you're able to avoid uh, losing to one of those lower level teams in the Pac-12 like UCLA did last night against Arizona. But coach, just want to welcome you in and see how you're doing. Brian, thank you very much. I agree with you. It's been a long weekend of college football. When you think back, you say, gosh, Friday night, that was a long time ago that they played. But uh, no, it's uh, it's good when you win when you play on Friday and it's bad when you lose when you play on Friday. But you've got a long time as far as getting back into it and uh, getting ready for your next game. But USC was uh, victorious, scored a lot of points, thought their defense played a little better, and uh, they were able to sit back. And then on Saturday, watch their next opponent play in the Rose Bowl, a place they want to end up in at least uh, on New Year's Day. Or not New Year's Day, this year it'd be on January the 2nd. Right, yeah, January second for because of the, the the days of the week when it comes out there, um, it's a good point. If you win on a Friday, it's good. Uh, if you lose on a Friday, it's bad. It's worse. Uh, but if you remember a few weeks ago, UCLA played Washington on a Friday and got a big win, and that was a you know significant win. Washington has been a really good team. They just beat Oregon over the weekend, um, and then USC end up losing to Utah that same weekend, and it's sort of like you get to watch you know, other teams get upset or, you know, the chaos happened if you're UCLA that weekend. This weekend, it was sort of the opposite. Yes, USC started slow, and we'll talk about that. 
But you get a win, and then you can just kind of watch what happens in the Pac-12. Everyone's talking about Oregon. They were ranked the only team ranked ahead of you in the uh, in the Pac-12 in the college football playoff rankings. They go down to Washington, uh, UCLA. All the talk was that the Bruins, you know, have a better resume. They should be ahead of USC. They lose to a to an Arizona team that's you know definitely not very good, a pretty bad defense, but a feisty offense. And USC saw that uh, a couple weeks ago. But I think as a as a Friday winner and being able to just kind of relax and watch everything else go on, UCLA enjoyed that a couple weeks ago uh, when USC lost to, to Utah, and now USC kind of turns the tables. Yeah, you're exactly right, and uh, it's great to sit around and be able to watch things materialize and realize exactly where you are at this time of the season. And you know, a lot of people talk about playoffs, and we're not having playoffs. We need to add playoff games. Well, tell me what's going on right now. If these aren't playoffs going on right now, somebody beats somebody, they're out. And if we beat somebody, we're in. I mean, these are playoffs right now. And I really believe it puts more emphasis and more excitement into the regular season as far as making each football game mean so much. And this weekend, look how much these football games meant. It meant a lot. And uh, certainly... It has a playoff atmosphere. This coming weekend will definitely have a playoff atmosphere when you have Utah playing Oregon and um, USC playing UCLA. The unfortunate part, Coach, is that it's not a true playoff. Like There was three legit college football playoff contenders in the Pac-12. Now there's only one. Now it's basically just USC um, because Oregon lost and UCLA lost. So that's uh, it's not great for the Pac-12 that that happened, but uh, you know we'll kind of see. The AP poll came out Sunday morning, and USC is up to number seven. Um, I'm anticipating the college football playoff uh, rankings when they come out Tuesday night. USC will probably be kind of in that range. Um, do you do you feel like that's where USC is going to be? And then do you feel like if this is a team that if they win out uh, and then win the Pac-12 championship game, that they would be you know have a legit chance of being in the college football playoff? Well, I think if they went out, you have a case. I really do believe you have a case. You're going to be 11-1, and one, and uh, uh, I think you'll be in the discussion. Will it actually happen? It depends on what happens in the other games. I don't, I don't think that'll happen. I think what will basically happen, Georgia will be a, an automatic if they win. And since Tennessee is not playing, Tennessee, I think, will get in. They, they don't have them ranked that high right now. But when you think about Tennessee and the way they came back and played, uh, they're a pretty good football team, man. I wouldn't want to play them, and and uh, who knows? They they might not be in there. And I think TCU is sort of everybody's favorite right now as far as uh, from the Big 12. Then uh, they had a big win over Texas, but yet Alabama beat Texas too. So, you know, there's sort of favorites that are out there. Michigan, Ohio State, one of those two teams, uh, the winner of that game will be in the playoffs so uh, yeah you have it you're in the discussion but it depends what happens with those other games and I don't think those other teams are going to lose so I think it's a very uh um, it's not a, a real great chance for USC to be in the playoffs even if they went out I'd like to think they are but uh it's sort of uh, the stage is somewhat set Ryan I think so too. And I, and if you're a USC fan and people are asking about these questions, I don't think it really matters that much. Um, I think it's better to make the, you know, some people are like, would you rather get killed by Georgia or go to the Rose bowl? I think you'd rather go to the playoff. Like if you can go to the playoff, go to the playoff, like just go. 
Um, USC's never been. Making the playoffs is a big deal. I don't care. It's year one. If you get blown out, no one's going to hold that against you. Um, so I feel like going to the playoff uh, is important. But I don't think it matters about like what happens outside of your control. To me, what matters is you win the Pac-12. I think now that you know the path is certainly open for it. You have that one loss, you know, and all you need to do is is beat UCLA, and they definitely look beatable. They just lost to Arizona on that same field, so um, I don't think it matters. Like you know, win the Pac-12. That's what's important. And then you know, if you go to the Rose Bowl or if you go to the playoff, that's great. But do what you can do and control it. Go twelve and one, win the Pac-12 in year one from a four and eight team. That's an amazing turnaround. I think that's all USC fans should worry about. Hey, Ryan, I agree with you, 100%. If I'm Lincoln Riley, okay, and let's say I'm the coach at USC, I'm not saying I'd rather do this, but it'd be great to be able to go 11-1, and complain about how I should have been selected to go to the playoffs, but I didn't, set that as my next goal, go to the Rose Bowl, Play Michigan in the Rose Bowl, not Ohio State, Michigan, because Ohio State's people are not going to travel. They were here last year. Harbaugh, USC, Michigan in the Rose Bowl, you wouldn't be able to get a ticket. That's what I think would be the perfect setting. And if you can beat Michigan, look what you end up. 12-1, and you won the Rose Bowl, you won the Pac-12. How could it be any better than that? I guess yeah, that would actually be thirteen and one, coach. Because if you're oh, you're eleven and, and one, yeah, yeah. You're eleven and one, twelve and one would the be the championship. Game. Game. I, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, game. yeah, no yeah. worries. But I, I think there's a, I mean, there's some, there's definitely a good point to that. Where, so you went out, you go eleven and one in the regular season, you beat somebody, whoever it is in the play in the uh, championship game in Vegas, and you go twelve and one, you're Pac-12 champs, and then you're like number five, so you have a complaint, you know, and then whoever goes number four, it's TCU or something. They get absolutely destroyed, and then people are like, oh, USC should have been in the playoff and all that stuff um, without going. I still think going would be good, but there's there's a validity to just missing out and everyone could talk about you and then getting a chance to beat like a good Michigan team in uh, in the Rose Bowl. So, um, But you got to take care of business. I think that's what's most important. I think it's important to win your last game of the year, Okay. I think it's important to go into recruiting, go into your off season with having a great positive attitude for recruiting as far as the portal now, high school recruiting, the whole recruiting portion, and I think that would give a lot of momentum to USC football. That's a good point too, um, and I get it. I think what would boost recruiting the most is going to the playoff, even if you lose, but there's certainly there's something to be said for winning your last game, um, especially if it's a blowout loss. The last game, like you know, you you don't want to. There's a lot of positives you can carry over, but you're still you still took a big L uh, on a national stage. So I get it. Um, but yes, we'll see. But the most important thing is winning Saturday. <laughs> Got to go out and beat UCLA. They certainly look beatable. Um, we're going to talk about the game a little bit, and unfortunately, we have some. Uh, some breaking news that's not uh, very positive. Uh, USC's one of the emotional leaders, uh, leading rusher, uh, one of the the best guys on the team, Travis Dye, no gloves, great mustache, um, married above his head, according to Lincoln Riley. Uh, he goes out in the second quarter of this game, uh, leaves the, the, the field 
on a stretcher on a cart uh, in an aircast. The entire team huddled, and uh, it was just it was a very emotional moment on the field. He ends up coming back in the second half, and uh, you know trying to fire up the team, and you know hearing Lincoln Riley after the game during his press conference. I don't know if I've heard a coach kind of talk like that, but. Um, he doesn't really talk about injuries much, but confirmed that, right. You know, that, uh, die would not return this season, but you know, he thinks he's going to have a great NFL career. I think the first three or four questions were all about Travis die. Uh, but just a terrible, terrible turn of events. But I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that coach and maybe where USC kind of goes from here. Well, I'll tell you, um, it's, it's, uh, not a good reason to see people huddle around a player. Okay. Like that. But if you noticed, there were all these guys are leaving a different emotion to come around a player that meant so much to them where there wasn't any screwing around. They were quiet. They were sincere. They were concerned. And they respected him to such a point that they were there to assist him. They, they were concerned. They were worried, okay? You see other players get hurt, but they knew, the players knew what he meant to the team. Okay, that's the number one thing that the players know what you mean to them. And then again, uh, they knew probably that he wouldn't return. And when he left, uh, the thumbs up, uh, Caleb, uh, as far as I don't know how true it is, but says, I love you, told him that with, I think, sincerity. The coming back on the field and, and cheering the team, uh, being a part of the team, I think that that's, all part of who he is. I think Lincoln Riley knows exactly who he is to the team and what he means to the team, not only off the field, but on the field. He's your money guy. He's your leader when he's in the game. He's your leader when he's not in the game. He's your locker room guy. He's the guy. So you lose that spirit among the team. But again, what it does is opens the door to Brown, Jones, Marlowe, other people to replace him and live up to what he expects of them. And that's what my talk would be to them. And I thought that when those three players went in the game, they played better than I've ever seen him play before. They played with an additional enthusiasm. Brown looked awesome. Marlowe looked better than I've ever seen him play before. Jones ran hard because they're playing for this guy. And it opened up a whole new dimension of USC offense. I really did. It did. It brings a different type of explosion from a power type of running back to more of an explosive type of running back when they went down the field on their last drive with Miller Moss at quarterback with a balanced running game and passing game went down the field and scored. That was all Travis Dye. That's exactly what that was. And I think that will be the same uh, type of effort that they give the rest of the season. That's a, some really good points, Coach. Uh, they did all play well. I mean, Darlin, we haven't seen Barlow for a long time. I always liked him. And he runs with this, like, violence. And uh, it was great to see. And, uh, you know, maybe those three guys are inspired. We'll see what the rotation is. Sort of going forward with all of them, but you know, wishing uh, the very best to Travis Dye. Just been a pleasure to cover him, and shows you know how much he's meant to this team. You know, not not being around that long, less than a year, and still 
has been uh, just a tremendous teammate to everyone there. So we, we wish him a speedy recovery, whatever the injury is. We don't know the extent of it, but you know, um, Lincoln Riley made it clear that he wasn't going to be back this season. Um, let's look at the game coach, because you know, sometimes it's a, a tale of two halves is the cliche that, well, this was a, a first quarter where USC went like punt interception punt and gained um, two yards on three plays, uh, 10 yards on four plays after the interception, and then minus five yards on three plays. That was like their first quarter. Um, pretty crazy, you know? And then all of a sudden it goes touchdown, 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 field goal. They had a long drive that they you know, failed on fourth down, and then touchdown, 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 touchdown. Um, you know, just a slow start, eight yards in the first quarter, turnover, which you've only had one all year. And then have this offensive explosion uh, after that. What did, what did you make of that first quarter? What did you see that was wrong? Well, what I saw is uh, what I saw is uh, probably they weren't as ready to play as they would normally be. Yet they expected to have the same type of success that they normally have. And sometimes you press a little bit hard, or you try to make things happen uh, that uh, shouldn't happen. And they're used to driving right down the field and scoring and expected to do that against Colorado. It didn't happen. Defense scores first. And then they got to settle down. If you remember, and I'm sure you do, that Lincoln Riley took Caleb Williams over on the bench and sat down and talked to him for a while and calmed him down because when he doesn't have great success, he's such a competitor it really bothers him more. So you got to settle him down a little bit. You got to settle him down and everything's going to be all right. And because it's not the receivers, because really, if you look at the drop off without having Williams, Mario Williams and Addison, uh, and Addison, that's not what makes the defense there. If you're going to have somebody hurt, uh, you don't see the difference with them not out there. Now, not that they're not great players, they are, but the other receivers have really come along. And you take a guy last week that caught three touchdown passes, didn't hardly do anything but catch punts this week. That's the type of depth they have at the receiver position. So you got to calm him down. You got to get him back in the game. You got to run the ball with some, some success so that he feels more confidence. And you, you, you've heard me say this every week run Caleb outside, run a bootleg. You've heard me say this. How many times? Well, they, they run it twice. He gets two scores. They don't even touch him. And off of that will come, if they want to continue doing that, the run-pass option and everything else. And so there's so much that they accomplish by running him a little bit and calming him down. And I think he really enjoys it when he carries the football. I really do. So he calmed him down. They got back into the mix of what they do, and and they got their timing back on the offensive side of the football, and everything came about. Everything came about, and they're explosive. They're an explosive type of team, and it came about. And uh, I thought Miller Moss, I just want to throw this in there in case he listened, but he looked really good last night. I really did. Oh, he did. He, that was some pretty screen throws that he had, those little screen passes, uh, Raylick Brown and – Man, it just really a lot of touch and uh, just you know, the, the the running backs catching him in stride and then just taking off and running. So that he did look good out there. 
I agree. And uh, I don't know if we're going to get any defensive uh, questions, but we'll get to that later in case we don't get any. Then I'll tell you my thoughts on that. Yeah, I want to talk about the defense, too, because um, I watched uh, J.T. Strout last week um, when he played Oregon at home, and there were just some wide-open throws that he'd missed. He is a my partner on the, the podcast of champions, David Woods, who covers UCLA. I, I I forget the exact wording he described him as, but like as a non-functional quarterback, like just literally a terrible, terrible quarterback. He is not good. And I think this is what USC's defense needed something like this, right? You needed a get-right kind of game after giving up a whole bunch of yards and points and stuff to Cal, a not good offense. And we saw Cal just be pretty putrid last night. Um on offense, if you're a USC fan, you're kind of scratching your head. But, you know, played well against Colorado. Um, you know, like I said, JT Strauss is a terrible quarterback. But what did, what did you make of the defense uh, kind of bouncing back and, you know, getting the first score like you had mentioned earlier? Well, I've always said the entire year they play hard, okay? They play hard. Their ability is sometimes lacking in certain areas, but they play hard. And that's what makes up the difference. You know, I call it the turnover defense. They got two, two turnovers again that really assisted them last night. And uh, they make things happen that way. I think they play as a team. They got a lot of pride on the defensive side of the football. And they do a pretty good job. After watching UCLA last night and closely watching the down linemen that USC has compared to the down linemen that UCLA has, I mean, I, I don't think UCLA has a down great front either. I think they're going to be able to run against them. In fact, some of them are not as aggressive and slower than USC's players. I think they got a couple of good defensive end in the Murray brothers. And But, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the game planning and so on, what I would do with them. But, you know, I, I thought that, you know, linebackers, uh, they're still hurting at linebackers as far as USC. I think they're playing far too many players in the secondary, but they're playing a lot of players in the secondary. I think they had 19 players played within the first quarter on defense or first first and second quarter. It's a lot of players out there in the field trying to get accustomed to players, sets, everything that's going on, formations. But they play hard, and I thought they, they – I'm glad. Now, you know, like you mentioned, Colorado's not the best football team that's out there. But I think it was really important for them to have some success and to get something and have us talk positive about them without, you know, some of their starters out there not playing. Corey Foreman played. He tried. He's, 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 he's got some ways to go, but he was out there trying to get it done. And, you know, number 49, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to pronounce his name because it, I, too late. I yeah, too late to a pillow too. Yeah. I'll get him mad at me. I always tell you that I want to get him <laughs> mad at me. I tell you, he's as good a football player as there is in the country. I mean, he's a, he's a man playing with kids. He really is. He's a man playing with kids. And when they, they decide to what position he's going to play and put him at that position, he's going to be a dominant football player. He's dominant at all the things they play him in the middle. They play him on the end. And I think mixing, moving him around a lot, I think does com- confuse the offensive team uh, and and what's going on. So I, I think the defense, uh, you know, they're going to run at USC. UCLA is going to run at USC, okay? And Dorian Thompson-Robinson did not have a great game last night, okay? Let's face it. 
He did not have a great game. If he had hit the last pass there, they'd have won that football game. So he didn't have a great game. They're going to run him more. They, they've got, they're going to let it all hang out, okay? They have nothing to lose. They're going to come all and let it all hang out. You're going to see some trick plays. You're going to see the whole playbook, everything that Chip Kelly has, because this game means everything to him. His home stadium, uh, recruiting, the portal, national television, the whole package. So uh, they're going to have to be ready on the defensive side of the football. And again, you know, they, they just can't break down. They can't give them the easy uh, touchdown. And again, we all know this. They have tackling problems. Uh, two, the secondary are making too many tackles. Linebackers aren't getting the number of tackles inside they should be getting. And, uh, you know, they're making it on the second level. All the tackles by linebackers on the second level. Yeah, there's some definitely some some issues there, but getting a little success, I think, will help you going into the UCLA game. And you're going to probably get a much fired up UCLA team that just lost a game they shouldn't have when they didn't play as well on offense as they should have. So uh, I think you're going to see a full full strength UCLA team that you're going to have uh, that USC is going to have their handfuls with, but handful with. But it's 5 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Uh, so they announced that last night, uh, which is great. And so not a not a 7:30 game, which is is nice. Um, so I'm looking forward to. Going to that one, you had mentioned um, Tuli Tuli Pelo too. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get a question about Tuli Coach and uh, some other questions as well. So we're going to come back in a minute, everyone. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We talked about Tuli Tuli Pelotu. Um, let me check his stat list. Stat line for the game uh, was pretty impressive. He's leading the nation uh, in sacks, which is uh, pretty impressive. Let me see where his uh, he's got. Okay, so he had two solo tackles, one assisted tackle for three total tackles, um, two and a half sacks. 18 yards lost, uh, two and a half tackles for loss. He did force a fumble. So there was that sack fumble and he actually broke up a pass. So, um, you know, didn't get a whole bunch of other tackles, but when he made a tackle, coach, it was pretty impressive. But let me, uh, let me play this question for you and then uh, get your thoughts. Hi, this question is for Ryan and the coach was not a question. Um, I want to know from the coach how he would free up Tui Pelotu against Utah. They must have doubled him. He he didn't do anything. But normally, well, hell, he leads the he leads the league in sacks in the whole nation. But against Utah, they doubled him. Coach, how would you free up this great guy who can play all kinds of different positions on the front? Curtis from Moreno Valley. 
Well, freeing him up, you know, you're going to know where he is all the time as a quarterback coming out, and you're going to try to, you know, double him when you can with the chip block with the back and so on. But again, you have to have the coverages if you're bringing different secondary guys where the back's going to have to block that person. So, you know, you can always bring somebody to help where they can't double on him. But he, he's, he's a guy that you're going to have to double. And the thing is so uh, impressive by him. When he tackles you, he just grabs you by one arm and throws you to the ground. I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's either rushing to the outside, then he cuts back inside. And if he happens to run by you, he just grabs you and just throws you to the ground. So, you know, you're going to run away from him. You're going to try to. Uh, that's why I think putting him in the middle of time confuses him because he's at least uh, he, you can't run away from him. But that's not his natural position. But uh, yeah, I'd probably play him to the wide side all the time if I could, depending what the coverages are and so on, and try to give him uh, that area. But most teams go to the wide side when they do things because the, the, the sideline is uh, defensive players. And you don't have to defend uh, uh, as large a spot, place. But uh, who knows? I don't know. You know, uh, you can't always double-team a guy like that. Uh, you're going to have to face people like that. It's too bad you don't have two or three of those guys. And that's where you become a, a heck of a defensive football team because you got guys playing in your backfield. But he plays in your backfield. Now, that's when you hear me talk about, you know, playing on the other side of the football. Well, there's a guy that plays on their side of the football. He's always causing a problem, no matter where he is, disrupting everything. And uh, it looks like he does it so easy. That's what I love. I mean, yeah, he's fired up, but he looks like he's having fun. He's really having fun screwing up your offense. (laughs) He, He really is. And he does it at such ease. It's like a man playing with boys at times. So he's just a great football player. He's going to be a first-round draft choice, and he'll be around for a long time. Yeah, I agree with you there, Coach. Let's uh, let's see. We have a text message that came in from Ryan. He says, feeling very positive going into UCLA and Notre Dame games with Lincoln Riley at the head of this program. After 75 games as a head coach, 39-year-old Lincoln Riley Not only has it 85% winning percentage, but he's never lost three games in a season, and his only losses have come against teams that have collectively won over 75% of their games with just one loss to a team with a sub-500 record. Win or lose, you can bet Riley will have this team in a position to fight on, and that's all we ever wanted in a head coach of this program. That's from Ryan. Well, Ryan, one thing that he understands, it takes football players to win. If you take a look and see some of the quarterbacks he's had over the past several years and the players that he's had surrounding his offense and so on, defense and the program he's been in, it takes it's football players. So when you have great football players and you have some common sense about offense and defense and how to treat players and get them to play for you and so on, you become a pretty good coach. Now at USC, you've got everything uh, that you need uh to have a great football program. You've got uh, tradition. You've got a a few great football players, some good football players, some players that maybe not be as good. But when you're surrounded with some of those other players, they play hard, and that's what you you want. You've got some coaches now that have been at a level of uh, having success on major college levels, so they know what that's about. 
and uh, you've been successful. And and I think that's one thing you got to know. You got to know uh, what players mean to you and how you handle players, how you motivate players, how you get how you get the full potential of players uh, out of them. And, and nothing against the past coaches over the last couple of years, but I don't think they've come from those type of programs where they've been able to understand it's not coaching. Yes, it's coaching, but it's who you coach. And I think that's what Lincoln Riley understands. He understands that, yes, you got to be in a great program where it matters, where it makes a difference to the administration and the alumni. And also it's a place where players want to come to school. And he's now in that type of setting at USC, and he understands the philosophy of what football is all about. And uh, I think that's what his success is, is he's had great players around him, and he's known how to motivate them to be successful. All right, let's go to, uh, let's see, we have an email from Steve uh, from Newport. Regarding the passing attack, it appears that Caleb Williams, uh, and perhaps the play calling, is too focused on big downfield sideline routes. Not enough short over-the-middle screens and swing passes where they get their athletes in space and let them run. Ford had two huge third-down plays where Caleb checked it down to him, but only after exhausting all other downfield options. Then Moss came in and was very successful with a few screens to Brown. Why don't you see more of that, making the opposing defenses protect the whole field? Steven Newport. Well, I agree with you. I, I, when I tweet out, I've been talking about the middle of the field. The middle of the field is open, and uh, they've thrown the tight end a couple of times there over the middle of the field or uh, in a seam route or so on. I'd force them to protect that a little bit more. Uh, uh, I, it just they they do screens. They do a lot of the you know quick bubble screens out there and so on. They did a uh, couple with Miller Moss because they wanted him to relax and throw an easy pass, and it worked. What he did is get the ball to people who could make yards, and that's what he did. He didn't, uh, you know, they didn't want to put him in a position where he wouldn't have success, and he didn't need to. They ran the ball well. The guys were explosive. They caught the football. And I think that Caleb probably is looking for the big play, sometimes a little bit too often. Yeah, a lot of times in, on your mind, you're thinking of stats. and and uh, But he's I'm not going to criticize him because he's a great player. I mean, well, where would you be without him? I mean, he's a player. What does he throw? 31 touchdown passes? I mean, really, you know. So it's hard to criticize him because without him, I don't know where you'd be offensively, but with him and great players surrounding him. Remember, great players surrounding a great player makes you a better player, and they all become better players. So, yeah, I, I think that you're right. Uh, Ford, they hit him on a, a post route. He was wide open right in the middle there. I think it was nice. I think he could really use your tight ends a little bit more, but the tight ends and Lincoln Riley's offense basically are not utilized. They're used more as a trap blocker. When they come around, he's a blocker. He's like a fullback. And also, occasionally, you know, they'll throw a ball to him in the flat or put him on a little seam route or try to curl him up for a first down. But he's not a big target. He's not really a part of their offense. Yeah. No, it hasn't really been. Um, okay. Let's go to Joe in Denver, sticking with the offense. Um, he says, your description of the USC offense as, quote, clunky at times is spot on. But at the end of the day, they're ninth in the country in yards per game and seventh in points per game. I didn't watch the I didn't watch Oklahoma during Riley's tenure, but quote clunkiness 
is clunkiness just a, clarif- uh, a characteristic of his offense? Could there be benefits? For example, frequent long drives downfield, low percentage throws, which may break up the momentum, but serve to keep the defense honest. Would love to hear your thoughts. Keep up the great work. Uh, I don't know when I use the term clunkiness. I think that was to uh, me. I described it as clunky. Um, I think in one of our shows where it just looked like, you know, they, they just weren't, it just wasn't clicking. And in this game too, certainly, I mean, everything looked off in that first quarter and then things started to click. But even that first uh, touchdown drive for USC, I think Kyle Ford had, he had two or three catches on that drive, but they had to convert a third and 19, a third and 23. Uh, and then they, they had a first and 10 after offensive pass interference. It just wasn't really working smooth. And I think maybe it's a, this is a follow-up to the other question where you talk about some of those lower percentage uh, sideline passes that maybe the advantage is you, you throw enough of those that you do keep the defense honest and it opens up other things. But uh, any thoughts on any of that, Coach? Well, right. I, I agree. I call it rhythm, okay? I, I think they get out of rhythm a lot, and uh, they try to force things, and uh, sometimes it's positive and sometimes it isn't. And I, I've said all along that I, I think if they ran the ball a little bit more and had maybe another play in there, do you remember that one draw they ran right up the middle? That was beautiful. I said, oh, my goodness, where's that play been? I mean, it was absolutely wide open right up the middle. You don't have to uh, run Caleb up the middle. You just sent the back right up the middle on that draw play. It was beautiful. So I think that if they had a little bit more rhythm and a little bit more running the football, rhythm comes from running the football and and having things come off of what you do. If you do that, I do this. And if I do this, if you're doing that, I'm going to do this again until you stop it. And when you stop it, then I'm going to do this because I know what I'm looking for and what you're doing. And uh, But uh, there's times that, yeah, I have to agree, uh, it it isn't – the, the rhythm is it there, and he's forcing things to happen because he's got so much pressure on it to make it happen instead of letting it happen. So uh, just like when they went for it, when it was fourth down, I mean, that wasn't necessary to do. He decided to go for it. They didn't make it, and that gave up a touchdown. So I think that there's no embarrassment in putting the football, especially when you're winning the football game. So, you know, those are the type of things I just wonder, you know? Yeah, I got you. We got one more voicemail and then another email and we'll let you go. Here's the last voicemail. Hey, Ryan. Hey, uh, Coach Hyde. It's Don from Chicago. Um, Listen, uh, we're 9-1 after a 4-8 year last year. It's been a tremendous improvement. But all Trojan fans, or most, uh, know we're not the number eight team in the country our defense is still a mess, and obviously Travis Dye being out and some other injuries. Um, you know, I'm not optimistic about the UCLA game. How, Coach Hyde, do you think we can stop UCLA's offense, given our defensive woes this year? What can we do scheme-wise to try to slow them down so that we have a chance at winning this game? Um, hope you guys are well. Keep up the good work. Uh, thanks so much. Well, it's not going to be easy because you have all the necessary things to have a good offensive football team. As far as skilled people, you've got a great quarterback that can pass and run. You've got a great running back. So, uh, and you've got receivers and, and you throw the ball to the tight end a lot. So, uh, obviously the play action pass will hurt you, but the number one thing you got to do is stop the inside run. Okay. 
You got to start carb- stop carbonate. You got to stop him now. Are you going to stop him? No. But what you got to do is slow him down. You got to put him in a position when it's more second and eights, third and sevens, and these type of down distance situations, which cause them to make a decision on what they're going to do. Now, when you do stop him, what are they going to go to? They're going to go to the keeps with Dorian Thompson. They're going to go to that because he's got wheels too. And they're going to hope that opens up and stretches your defense where he'll be able to uh, run the ball inside more carbonate. And maybe he's the bread and butter guy of that offense. You saw him run the ball last night. When it came down to them having to win that football game, the ball was in his hands, okay? Or they're going to throw the ball to him, which they did. He dropped the football. Otherwise, they might not have lost that football game. just happens uh, at times some things like that happen. And then they throw the ball really decent. They do. They throw the ball well. He was off last night. Their receivers run good routes. Uh, they're not the burns. They're not burners. What I mean is uh, uh, their speed is good, but not great as far as burners where you have to defend the entire field on them. But they run really good routes, and they have good hands. So the route guys, they're, they're not slow but they're not burners. Now, the tight end uh, is a good receiver as well as a blocker. They use him as a blocker and a receiver. So that's the guy I think you've got to really watch for in the passing game against UCLA. They'll want to use the tight end in all different types of routes, uh, hooks, seams, drags, and so on, and they'll try to hurt USC a lot with the tight end. Now, that's my thought, but uh, I'd stop the running game inside first carbonate, then Dorn. Dorian Thompson, make sure we can stop the run, have that defensive, uh, get them in a down-distance situation where you more or less can dictate what they have to do. Yeah. All right, Coach, we've got one last one, and this is from Dan, class of 1962. It says, well, UCLA and Oregon proved that maybe USC isn't as bad as we thought after the string of close games against inferior opponents. The UCLA defense looked far worse than the Trojans. What should the USC defense do to stop uh, DTR and Zach Charbonnet, Caleb Williams and the entire Trojan offense, even minus Travis Dye, should be able to score on the gutty little Bruins. By the way, uh, Jones, Barlow, and Brown look very good subbing for Dye, who will be missed for the team leadership and outstanding ability as a runner, pass catcher, and blocker. Fight on. Beat the Bruins, Dan, class of 62. Well, it sounds you're right on. We just talked about that. Uh... Uh, I think that all those things you talked about is what we've discussed and uh, stopping uh, the Bruins. You've got to stop Carbonet, uh, the running back, because he's a, he's a heck of a football player. And he's their bread and butter guy. How do you stop him? Well, first of all, your defensive line's got to get after it. and You've got to play good football and, and whip him at the line of scrimmage. And you've got to stop him before he gets started. And because he's real good once he gets into secondary, because he's a guy that gets the extra yards. He's a big back. He runs hard. He's not a burner, if you know what I'm talking about, but he's fast enough. So uh, when he gets into secondary, he's going to knock you down and get the extra yards. He gets four or five yards extra after he breaks to the second level. So you got to try to stop him at the, level, at the first level, which is on the line of scrimmage or before he gets started. So you got to just stop him there and then hope you can – you know, stop the, the outside, the flanks, uh, to, uh, to quarterback. It's, it's not easy to do. 
I mean, you got me stuttering because, man, I'll tell you, if you don't play your position, they're going to eat you up. Look what Williams did on that bootleg the other night. Two of them just went right into the end zone. So when you have an athletic quarterback and you're not afraid to run him, and they're not going to be afraid to run him, uh, you've got a lot of field to cover with a lot of great athletes. Yeah. A lot of field there. I think the UCLA Bruins are going to play a lot better than what we saw them play against Arizona. Maybe a little look ahead, not sure, but uh, there's going to be a, certainly a big test for this uh, USC Trojan defense. And I agree with uh, Dan. I think the offense is going to do do well. And at one other note, you know, Don in the last voicemail called coach. And he says, "I he's like, I know we're not the number eight team in the country. Here's what I would uh, say to this too. Um, we talked about this a lot." And that, this will be your final thoughts and get your thoughts on this, Coach. USC is certainly a flawed team. They got holes on defense. Like Coach said, they played hard, but you know maybe don't have all the athletes you need everywhere. Um, they've given up a bunch of yards to some bad offenses, but they played well against some decent ones too. Um, but it's a flawed team. But I don't think you can just say, looking at USC going, here's a problem here, here's a problem here, here's a problem here. This isn't the number eight team in the country. You have to compare it to the other teams that are in the country, and everybody's flawed. Like, there's a lot of problems across these teams. You could easily make the case for USC being a top eight team or, or better than that. Um, if you watch some of these other games, that these one week a team looks really good, another team they look like crap. And I don't think, you know, I think sometimes you can just be super critical of the team you know, not realizing like outside of Georgia, everybody's flawed. You know, Tennessee looks amazing one day. And they play a really good Georgia team and they just, you know, crumble. Um, you know, Oregon has looked, I mean, you couldn't look much better than Oregon looked. And then, you know, what do you do? You get a, a Washington with a bad defense uh, and a good quarterback. And they just put some pressure. They they ran some clock. They took long drives. They sort of frustrate, you know, frustrated Oregon. And even after Oregon gets an interception like, and the ends, you know, at the goal line and goes, you know, drives the length of the field in like 10 minutes, um, you know, to, to take the lead, Washington still comes back and, and wins that game. And so, I, you know, if you walk, look, if you talked about Oregon 24 hours ago, you'd be like, man, they're like, they look the best. They're like, well, they just lost to Washington who they lost to Arizona state and Arizona state's pretty terrible. So, I mean, there's, you can't look at everybody's flawed. So I wouldn't be hypercritical of USC just because that's the team, you know, uh, and say they're not the number eight team in the country. Well, tell, you know, pick seven others that are better, and then you, you know, and come back and tell me. And I can point out flaws in pretty much all of them, except for Georgia, probably. Well, yeah, and another thing, you want USC it's, if it's your team more than any other team, okay? So you get to know them more, and you start to say that we need this or we need that, or this guy can't play or he can play and whatever. And when you don't watch other teams, it's hard to evaluate other teams compared to your team. Uh, where they are nationally, it's hard for me to say, except for like everything else. I watch the games on television like everybody else does. Uh, I put my poll out, and if they want to know what it is, just follow me at Coach Harvey Hyde. And Tuesday at 10, I'll release that. And then I'll tell you where I have them. <laughs> but uh, I think it's uh, the way I do it, Ryan, as you know, the number one team in the country is the team I'd least want to play, okay, this coming week. It's not by record. It's not by any of that. They could have two losses. It's who, and this week, on who's going to be ready to play and who's not going to be ready to play and who's well or not well, and me for game planning against them. Yeah, I I mean, it's one of those things, Coach, that we are um, 
you could easily say, okay, USC is number 10 or number six and make great arguments for it. But I just don't like when people say there's no way they're a top eight team. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that are going to think that. And uh, I think probably in the playoff, they'll end up being like seven, maybe even six. We'll see in the playoff rankings. Um, the Tennessee one is interesting. Um, you know, or, or LSU, like I, I think Tennessee would be up there, but LSU is more interesting to me that uh, LSU would be slightly above them. Um, you know, Alabama almost lost again. So, you know, the, the win over Alabama thing that just elevates SEC teams, I'm not sure how much that should elevate SEC. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, but anyway, Coach, good stuff. Uh, it was great to kind of chat about a blowout win and a little different style. Friday, like you said, it's it's great to win those Friday ones. It, it would really be tough to lose, like losing going into your bye week. Man, it's tough losing on a Friday. We need a little extra time to think about it. So, uh, but good stuff. And it was great to uh, hear from you. And we'll look forward to uh, talking to you. Your favorite place, the Rose Bowl, when USC goes there next week and uh, taking on the UCLA Bruins. You're exactly right, buddy. And again, uh, everybody out there, be safe. Uh, get ready for the holidays. And like I said, enjoy it. I mean, there's a lot of teams in the country that would love to have USC's record, okay? So enjoy it day by day, play by play. And uh, if everything works out, who knows what might happen. That's the great thing about college football. Yeah. For sure. It's a great sport. We love it. And that's why we're doing this. So, But that's Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. My website, as you know, USCFootball.com. Make sure you check everything out over there. For the coach, I am Ryan. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by USCFootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.